We are continuing in our series 2020 Vision, and we're in 2 Peter, uh, and this morning, if you want to turn there, 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I know we missed some of you last week. Uh, we had a little bit of weather on Sunday morning. We had, a, we had a trifecta last week that was really, we had a holiday weekend, we had 55 of our youth gone, and then we had a snowstorm on Sunday morning. So uh, some of you watched us via stream, and we missed seeing you here. But I thought I would mention, uh, some of you are new with us, you might not know uh, what to do if, if our schedule does get affected on Sunday morning because of weather. You can always check our website, social media feeds, or you can call the church office. We'll have something on the voicemail there if you need to know that way too. So, But God willing, we'll just get through the winter, and none of our Sundays will be affected. The six other days of the week, it can snow, and we're fine with that. But we were, we were here, and we had a great day in worship last week as well. So we've been in this series, 2020 Vision. This is our last week in this series. We're going to start a new series next week. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You'll have to come next week and find out. I will tell you it's a book of the Bible I have never preached before. Uh, it is uh, an interesting book, an exciting book of the Bible, uh, filled with some amazing stories that some you know, and even the ones you know, you may not know them the way you think you know them. Uh, and we're going to start that next week. But this week, we are in uh, 2020 Vision. We're finishing up, and we always do this at the beginning of the year, talk about some of the basics of our faith. And we've been talking this year about saying, how do we live consistent lives as followers of Jesus Christ? How do we live consistently as Christians? And we've been saying that you have to have clarity in your vision Clarity of how you see God, clarity of how you see the things around you, clarity uh, of how you see what the Lord has said in order to live a consistent life for Christ. And we've been using this passage out of 2 Peter chapter 1 that tells us that we are supposed to look different. We are supposed to live differently. If you call yourself a Christian, your life is supposed to be changed. You don't just come to Jesus and stay the same as you always were. This is the first step. Coming to Jesus is a starting line, not a finish line. You are to grow in him. Uh, the theological word for this is sanctification. You're to grow in becoming more like Jesus. And for, uh, Peter, in this uh, letter, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, he outlines a few things that we're to grow in as followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at those, 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. And we're supposed to effort towards these things. Uh, the gospel, as I've said, is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You can't earn your faith. But after you have received your faith as a gift, we are to effort to grow in Christ and to grow with him. And Peter says this, First Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. If you're in one of the pew Bibles, it's about page 1018. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and, in fact, say that three-letter word with me, and, it's not or, and, so it's not, this isn't choose your own adventure. You don't get to pick which one of these you want. Peter says, supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And we've been using this passage and talking about some of the basic values that we have in Christ and how we are to grow in these things. And we have some statements that are out on the back of that wall out there in the hallway that you probably walk by and you miss them a lot. Uh, but uh, we have statements about each of these kind of basics of our faith. And so we've been going over these this year too. So to live with clarity, first one, do not change the Bible to fit your life. Allow your life to be changed by the Bible. At Mount Hope, we believe the Bible is God's word to you. So we don't get to change it. We don't get to make it say what we want it to say. We, we, we take it as God's word and we endeavor to live our lives by it and to fit our lives to it, not to fit the Bible to our lives. Second thing, to live with clarity. Make prayer your first priority, not your last resort. And if you remember that week, we talked about that prayer sometimes seems inefficient. You can sit down, you can kneel down, you can pray, you can pray for an hour, you can pray for two hours and feel like, well, there's no deliverable. What do I get? What did I accomplish? And yet it is anything but inefficient and ineffective. It is time spent in the presence of your creator, the one who holds heaven and earth and holds your life in his hands. And so make prayer your first priority, not your last resort. Uh, third, last week, Reverend Eddie Stewart gave us a great message on brotherly affection and love. And if you did miss it last week, I encourage you to go to the podcast, check out what uh, Reverend Eddie Stewart preached last week on brotherly affection and love. And we say it this way at Mount Hope, to live with clarity, do not be a passive consumer, be an active contributor to the community. So don't just come on Sunday mornings just to receive, just to take something. Don't just come as a part of the church to receive, but look for ways to contribute. Some of you do that in formal ways. You serve in kids' ministry, you serve in a hospitality ministry, uh, you serve in the prison ministry or various other places in the church. But all of us have the opportunity to do that in informal ways. You walk around the halls, you have conversations, opportunity to encourage one another, to invite people to your homes, to pray for one another, to love one another, to care for one another. Be an active contributor, not a passive consumer. And in order to live with clarity, I encourage you to do that. The last message of this series, if you've been with us for any of the last 12 years, as I've preached on these four topics in the month of January, you know that there's only one topic left I have not preached on. What is it? Ah, I heard it. Some of you are like, no, 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 I don't want, they're trying to forget it. It was money. I heard someone say it. Uh, someone said money. And I always take, we always take one week out of January and talk about money. And you say, why do you talk about money? I don't want to come into church and hear about money. I don't want to think about money. I just got my credit card and the bill for my credit card bill for Christmas presents. I don't want to think about money. Uh, whatever it is. And you say, we don't want to talk about that. But it is important. And we take one Sunday a year at least. As often as it comes up in scripture, we'll talk about it. It comes up in scripture often. But we will definitely take one Sunday at the beginning of the year in January and talk about it. And the reason is... Because it is something that has a great effect on all of our lives. And because there's two things that I know are true when it comes to money. One that I absolutely know is true. And one that I have a good suspicion I think is true. The one I absolutely know is true is this. 
You cannot have a healthy relationship with God and an unhealthy relationship with money. I know that's absolutely true because I see it throughout Scripture. See it all throughout the Bible. That you see men and women, you see examples of people, you see the teaching of, teaching of the Bible that you cannot have a healthy relationship with God and an unhealthy relationship with money. It is too powerful, it has too strong a pull. It is one of the things that will compete with God Himself for your love, for your affection, for your attention almost more than anything else. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about possessions. I'm talking about the things that you physically, tangibly touch in the world around us, those things that bring you joy. And that's okay, they bring you joy, but we have to keep them in perspective. And you cannot have a healthy relationship with God and an unhealthy relationship with money. I know that to be true. The second thing I'm pretty sure is true, and that's this. None of us think we have an unhealthy relationship with money. We sit here and we think, well, he's talking to someone else. I don't have an unhealthy relationship with money. I handle it perfectly and know exactly how to handle it. But then I know that there are so many scriptures that talk about money because I know that this is something that is common to humans, how we relate to it. We have, you have a relationship with money. You do and I do. You may not think you do, but you do. How you feel about it, how it makes you feel. What you use it for, what it uses you for, or how it affects your life. There's a relationship there. And you cannot have a healthy relationship with God and have an unhealthy relationship with money. So I want to talk about that for a few minutes and talk about it in this idea of clarity. And I'll do it by sharing two stories this morning from Scripture, two accounts of Scripture of two men. Both of them are rich. One of them walks away sad. Another one walks away joyful. I want to talk about their story. And as I'm sharing their story, I want you to think about which man am I more like when it comes to my resources and my money? The first story, it's in Luke chapter 18, and I actually shared it with you last month as a part of one of our series in our Advent series leading up to Christmas, but so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm only going to read it, refresh it for you, and just make a couple comments on it, but it's the first man and his relationship with money, and his story is found in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, and here's what it says. And a ruler asked him, the him is Jesus. So, and a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. The first person is the rich man. 
a rich young ruler. And one of the things we said last month as we looked at this passage is this, that Jesus wasn't interested in the guy's money. Because very clearly in this passage, Jesus doesn't say, here's what you got to do. You want eternal life? Sell everything you have and give me your money. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't even say, sell everything you have and give all your money to the temple, the religious institution. He didn't say that. Sell everything you have, give all your money to the poor. I don't want it. I don't need it. Give all your money to the poor. Because he wasn't so concerned about getting the man's money as he was about getting the man's heart. And he knew the man's heart was captured by his money. And so Jesus tells him, this is what's standing in the way. But the man walks away sad. The Bible says because he was very rich. He couldn't take his eyes off his possessions long enough to look at the person that was standing in front of him. He couldn't stop looking at what was he was being asked to give to take some time to look at what he would be getting. He couldn't stop thinking about what was being taken from him long enough to look at what was being done for him. So many of us are like that when it comes to money and our relationship with money. That we, we, we just think, well, what do you want from me? Instead of we looking at, what do you have for me? But the rich man couldn't do that. Couldn't stop looking at the stuff long enough to look at the Savior. And so it says he walked away sad. Walked away sad because he was extremely rich. And he couldn't take his eyes off of that. Now, some of us hear that story and we think, well, that's not me because I am not extremely rich. It's always someone else who's rich, isn't it? I mean, if I asked you who's rich today, I caught you and, you and none of you would say, well, I'm rich. And it's always someone else who's rich, right? And you might be sitting here and you think, well, I'm not rich. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. We, we're, we're barely making a rent payment on where we're living. I don't even know how we're going to make next month. And, and we, you know, we don't have a car. And, and, you know, I'm not rich. I mean, the person over there, they got a house and a car. They're rich. And I go over to that person. I say, well, they said you're rich. You say, well, I'm not rich. I mean, I got a house, but I got a mortgage payment and car payments we're barely making. This guy over here, he's got two houses and three cars. I go, well, that guy. So he said, you're rich. Well, no, no, I'm not rich. I mean, I got three houses, but this guy over here, he's got four houses. One of them's paid for. He travels first class every place he goes. He's rich. Go over and talk to that guy. Yeah, well, I travel first class, but I know this lady. She runs her own company, and she charters her own planes wherever she goes. She's rich. I go over and talk to her. And she says, well, I charter a plane, but this guy owns a plane. He's rich. It's always someone else who's rich. I mean, when we think about it, when we hear these stories in the news of these, you know, sports figures, and the salaries they make, and, and some of them, the, the, you know, I'm not sure if you heard the latest about Tom Brady and, and everything. And some of you are going, why doesn't he just take a pay cut and stay with the team? What's his problem? He's got enough money. Him and his wife, come on, just take a pay cut. That's what I would do. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, I know you wouldn't. Because you've never walked into your boss's office and said, you know what? You're paying me too much. You really got to... Just let's just stop. No raises. You're paying me too much. 
We all have this relationship with money. The truth is, many of us in this room are considered rich by a lot of different standards. But let me just give you one. Uh, Investopedia.com, somewhat reliable site, I think, going with these facts, says that if you make $39,000 and change a year, you are in the top 1% of all the people living on the face of the earth right now. $39,000 a year. Now, that's a lot of money. Some people think of that, and they say, well, I'm not making that, and I understand that, but a lot of people, in fact, the average family income right now in the United States is $67,000 a year, average household income. So you make 39000 a year, you are in the top 1% of people living on the face of the earth. And Jesus said, it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a story about two rich people. But many of us in this room, if we're honest, would be in that same category. And it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So is that you? Do you have your eyes so much on the possessions that you can't look at the person of Jesus Christ? Let's look at another guy. We told that story last year. Flip over one page. Last year. Last, it was last month and last year, I guess. Told that story. Uh, flip over one more page. Luke 19. Let me tell you the story of another rich man. This is kind of part two to the story in Luke 18. And I'll tell you why I think it's part two. Because I think there's a word that connects them. And here's what it says. He entered, he again, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was, say this next word with me, rich. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, if you are listening to this gospel being given to you or if you are giving it and reading, you're going to think, now, wait a second. I just heard the word rich not too long ago. There's only been a couple uh, paragraphs in between there. I just heard the word rich. Where did I just hear the word rich? I just heard it on the lips of Jesus that said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So you come to this story only two paragraphs later, and your mind automatically should think, well, here's going to be an example of a rich person who does not enter the kingdom of heaven, because I just heard Jesus say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, I, and over the years, I don't know if you've heard them, but if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard them because I heard them. That the camel going through the eye of a needle, you've heard explanations like there's a gate in Jerusalem and it was called the eye of the needle and it was a really low gate and camels had to bow down and go on their knees to get through it and it was really hard. How many of you heard that? Wow. All right. Two problems with that. One, there's no archaeological evidence for a gate in Jerusalem that's called the eye of the needle. That's a problem. Second problem with that. It's negated by Jesus' next statement. His very next statement wouldn't make sense if he wasn't talking literally. His very next statement is, it's impossible with men. It's not really hard, like the camel has to bend down, but he eventually gets through. It's not really difficult. It's not something that, it's impossible with men. Just like it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. That a rich person would be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So these stories are connected. I think this is kind of a part two of the rich young ruler. I think they're supposed to be seen connected. So here's another story of a rich person. We saw the impossible part. Maybe we'll see something different in this one. Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. I can identify with Mr. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. You're in the front row at the portraits. He's not sure he can get on the rides at the Holy Lands. Short in stature. He's challenged. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So he ran on ahead and climbed up a tree, the sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Zacchaeus went out to see Jesus. And here's the, next, here's the first thing you need to understand when we're going to have a healthy relationship with possessions is make every effort to see Jesus clearly. The first step in having a healthy relationship with possessions is to make every effort to see Jesus clearly. I think there's a lot of people that sit in church for a lot of years and never see Jesus clearly. I hope and I pray that every person that stands up here and proclaims the word of God to you presents Jesus honestly and clearly. We do make our best effort to make sure that's going to be the case. But to be honest, you need to get into this word yourself. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Four gospels, counts of Jesus' life, the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. You make sure you see Jesus clearly. To get into here, because a lot of people make decisions in their life without seeing Jesus clearly. And they make decisions about Jesus without seeing Jesus clearly. Because all they see is the crowd. And they're content just to sit at the back of the crowd and look at the crowd's backs. People that say they're following Jesus and say, well, if that's who Jesus is, I'm not interested. Zacchaeus wasn't like that. He said, no, the crowd's in the way, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to see Jesus I am going to go out of my way. I am going to make an effort to see Jesus. He climbed a tree. You don't need to climb a tree, but you do need to spend some time on your knees to get there and to see Jesus clear. God, show yourself to me. You need to spend some time in this book, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the longest singular teaching of Jesus that we have on that Sermon on the Mount. Get in and listen and see what Jesus taught. To see Jesus clearly. Zacchaeus was willing to be, even become undignified. I mean, he's a chief tax collector. He's, a, he's prominent in his community. He shouldn't be climbing trees. He's not going to go climbing trees and hanging out just to see someone walking down the street. But he said, I, I'm going to see Jesus. I want to see who Jesus is. Very different. Very different from someone who passively just stands by or waits for Jesus to come to them. Make every effort to see Jesus clearly if you're going to be able to see your wealth in the way that God wants you to see it. So let's go on from there. And then verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. 
He's gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. The crowd had one thing right. Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was. What they got wrong was they didn't put themselves in that category. But Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was a chief tax collector. Now when I say that, don't think nice job working for the IRS. Don't even think like director of the IRS, like manager. That's not, that's not, it's not accurate. More accurate is he has a license to steal. That's what Zacchaeus had. He had a license to steal. See, here's how taxation worked. Caesar and Rome had their taxes that they wanted and they expected and they hired people. You can be the tax collector in this region. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector in Jericho. A lot of wealth and commerce went through Jericho. So Zacchaeus, you're the chief tax collector. You collect all the taxes and make sure Caesar gets his. But anything after that is gravy. You keep it. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. Collect whatever you can, whatever you want. You keep it as long as Caesar gets his cut. And so Zacchaeus was a very rich man. And if Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector and he was a very rich man, there's only one way he got that way. By exploiting and extorting and taking money from his fellow countrymen. And so his countrymen said, he's a sinner. And the word of God says he's not supposed to be treating us like that, his fellow countrymen. But he sold his soul to Rome. Sold his soul to Caesar. And he's a sinner. He didn't have to tell Zacchaeus that though. He knew it. He knew what people said about him. He knew he didn't get the invites. I mean, he's a prominent man in the community, but the crowd wasn't going to part ways for him to get through. Go climb a tree. He knew it. He knew it because everyone around him would tell him. He didn't bother trying to show up at the places that good people showed up. He knew how he was viewed. But here's the thing. When Zacchaeus saw Jesus clearly, second thing he did, he also began to see himself clearly. See, when you see Jesus clearly, you also start to see yourself clearly. Here's what Zacchaeus knew about himself. He was a sinner in need of a savior. Didn't have to tell him that. Everyone else told him that. But he knew it. He needed something, so he sought to see Jesus. Maybe Jesus has got this thing I need. I want to see him because I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But here's what else he knew about himself or he found out about himself. Jesus is walking down that path and he says, Zacchaeus. Never met Zacchaeus before. You, Zacchaeus, up in the tree. Come down because I must go to your house today. Suddenly he learns Jesus knows his name and Jesus is willing to come to his house and Jesus is gonna sit at his table and Jesus is gonna have a meal with him which is no small thing. None of the rabbis would have come into Zacchaeus' house, come into his roof and put their feet under his table. None of the religious teachers would have done that. And here's Jesus. He knows his name. He's coming to his house. So now Zacchaeus learns two things. He, he knows he's a sinner, but he also knows that Jesus knows his name, cares about him, values him. He's going to his house, even though other people are saying, he's going to the house of a sinner. And it's true for you too. 
that when you see Jesus clearly, when you understand who Jesus is, you start to see yourself clearly. Start to understand that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I've fallen short and I've got no way of saving myself from my life of sin. That I can't clean myself up, that I can't make myself do good all the time as much as I try. And even if I do, it doesn't erase all the bad I've done. I need a savior. But what you also know is there's a God who knows your name. There's a God who knows your name and loves you and values you to the point that he sent his son Jesus to lay down his life for you and die for you. No matter what the crowds say about you, no matter what your friends said about you, no matter what your parents might have said about you, you know who you are? You're a sinner in need of a savior. Yep, you've missed the mark. But you are someone who God knows your name, loves you, values you, sent his son to die for you. That's who you are. And when you see Jesus clearly, you start to see yourself clearly. Well, I know that Jesus, he's just, he's just out there. He's not, he wouldn't be interested in me, just like the crowds would say. He's not interested in you, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come down. I need to go to your house today. When you see Jesus clearly, you see yourself clearly. Let's keep going. And behold, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Let's just stop there for a second. Lord, not rabbi, not good teacher, like the rich man. Good teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? What can you give me? What can you give me? No, 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 Lord. Lord, behold, Lord, you are the Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Don't get confused by Jesus calling him a son of Abraham. The crowd was the son of Abraham. The rich man that came to him earlier was a son of Abraham. He's not saying he's simply Jewish. By son of Abraham, he's saying he's a person of faith. He's a person who's put his faith in God. There's one point in the scriptures where Jesus says, you know, he could make these rocks into children of Abraham if he wanted to. The fact is that Abraham was a person of faith who trusted and believed God long before the law was ever given. And this man was also a person of faith, trusted and believed God. And Jesus said, because of that, salvation has come to this household. So Zacchaeus saw Jesus clearly. He saw himself clearly. And because of that, he saw his stuff clearly. When you see Jesus clearly and you see yourself clearly, then you can see your stuff clearly. We sometimes get it backwards. See, even in messages like this when we preach, we sometimes get it backwards. We just want to talk about the stuff. No, 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 no. If you will see Jesus clearly, and then in light of that, see yourself clearly, then you are in a position to see your stuff clearly. Because Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, all of a sudden, you know, this stuff, half of it, take it, give it to the poor. It's people that need it more than I do. 
He starts seeing people in need. When before that, all he could see was himself. Right before this, he would, he would love stuff and use people, and now all of a sudden, he wants to use stuff and love people. And it's a change that got brought about because of Jesus in his life. But you gotta see Jesus first. And you gotta see how Jesus sees you. And then you can see your stuff right. See, here's the truth in Christianity. Truth in Christianity is relationship always precedes responsibility. Relationship always precedes responsibility. That's why when, when, when Elizabeth was up here a minute ago praying and, and praying for the offering, it's why we say on Sunday mornings, you know, if you're a guest here, we're receiving this offering, we're worshiping God, but you don't feel compelled to give. Why do we say that? Because relationship precedes responsibility. And I don't know where you are in relationship with God. Maybe you have yet to come into relationship with God yet. And so you are not ready to give. You're not ready. You're not there. You don't have, you're not in that place of responsibility. Relationship always precedes responsibility. It doesn't preclude responsibility. That's what we're looking at in Second Peter. It doesn't preclude responsibility. Once you come to Christ, once you give your life to him, once you call him Lord, there is responsibility that comes with that. There is a life that he calls you to live. There is a holiness that he calls you to live. But relationship precedes responsibility. And so you see Jesus clearly, you see yourself clearly, and you see your stuff clearly. And here is how we can then have a right relationship with the stuff that is around us. We say it like this at Mount Hope, we put it this way, to live with clarity, choose to live beneath your means so that you can give beyond your limits. This is a different mindset than the world around us. The world around us, we live in a nation that has over $23 trillion in debt. But it's not just the national debt. It's easy to poke at that. According to debt.org, the medium income in 2017 for a household in this country was $67,372 in 2017. That is up $20,000 from the year 2000. The median family debt in 2017 was $137,063, up from $50,971 in 2000. So while income rose about 30% over those 17 years, debt rose 268%. This statement is contrary to the culture and the world that we live in. Culture and the world that we live in would say, no, get everything you can, would live beyond your means, grasp and hold it and hold it tight, for this is where you gain value and substance. This is where you gain security. Which is why you cannot have a healthy relationship with God if you have an unhealthy relationship with money, with stuff, with things. Because what happens is those stuff and those things become a God to us, and we need to be careful. And how do we do that? So live beneath your means. Keep it in check. Keep it in check. Make regular sacrifices. Be generous. Keep it in check. Lord, is this a place for me? And so which man are you more like? They were both rich. One walked away sad. The other walked away full of joy, even though he had just given away way more than half 
of everything he had. Because half went to the poor. And he had to pay back everyone he had wronged four times the amount he had wronged them. He's a chief tax collector. He wronged a lot of people. Way more than half. I don't see Zacchaeus blinking at it at all. So what's this look like in our lives? Uh, It's different in different people's lives, I guess. And it's different depending on where you are with the Lord. Maybe you've been following the Lord all your life. Maybe you've just started following him not too long ago. I think many of us feel like we do have a healthy relationship with money. It's not anyway. I've got it under control. We all feel like we've got it under control. What's this look like? We apply it. Maybe it looks like a dad with young kids who just started following the Lord a few years ago. And he hears about, you know, we pray and we talk about tithing and, and giving the Lord the first 10% and giving that to God. And we say, whoa, that's wild. 10%. That's a lot of money. And he gives it fundraisers and puts money in the offering bag every week that it goes by. But if he's honest, probably not much more than he tipped the waiter at the restaurant the night before. And something in his heart saying that Lord is calling you to more. And then when you see Jesus and you see what God's done for you and you get your eyes on him, but he's struggling with it. It's hard to think that way. It's hard to handle our finances that way. But maybe in response to seeing God and seeing himself, he says, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm going to trust that God will provide. Put God first in my finances and our family's finances. Maybe it looks like a single woman who was raised in the church who tithed all her life. It's always been easy for her. She's been tithing since she got her first $10 allowance from her parents. Got a $10 allowance, one goes to God. Put it in the offering. Kids church on Sunday morning. Starts making $100 a week at a babysitting job, $10 to God, no problem. So it's easy when it's 10,000 and then 100,000. I just tithe, always gave it to God. But even someone who tithes regularly and gives to God can have an unhealthy relationship with money. Because maybe the truth is she never asked God what he wants with the other 90%. Oh, God, no, 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 I gave you yours, and this is mine. You get yours, I got mine. And I do whatever I want with this part. And maybe she saves it because it's really her security and her savior more than anything else. I got no one else around, no one else provides for me. I got to take care of myself. And she keeps stockpiling it and piling it and piling it because who knows what's going to happen. And actually, her money's her functional savior. But then maybe in a message response to this, she knows that there's a family member that she really should and needs to help out. And she's helped out enough that they would be grateful, but not enough that it really makes a difference. And in response to this, seeing who God is, getting her eyes off her stuff, and getting her eyes on God, she goes and takes out a bunch of money out of that savings account and says, God wants you to have this. Because we need to have a healthy relationship with our stuff, our money. Or maybe it's a little different. Maybe it's you work with somebody who loves money, lives for money. Uh, They'll do anything to gain a little more money. In fact, they'll lie, they'll steal, they'll cheat. They think nothing of taking your commission or your client. They don't think twice about it. 
because all they want is the next dollar, the next money. You know they're taking money under the table so that they don't have to report it to the government so they don't have to pay their child support. It makes you sick. They take half their paycheck uh, once a month to go down to Encore or Foxwoods and gamble it away rather than giving it to their kids or their family. And they love money. But it might be your response today to this message is to stop looking at that person like the crowds looked at Zacchaeus. Start looking at that person like Jesus looked at him. Sinner in need of a savior. Someone who God knows his name. Someone who God sent his son to die for him. And that if he would put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that he would receive forgiveness and a new life. Maybe your response to this morning's message is to see that person differently. To see that person as Jesus sees them. To see that person as God sees them. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I know this, that you cannot have a healthy relationship with God and have an unhealthy relationship with money. And so as our team comes and plays this final song, I'm just going to ask that you would take some time to examine your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And say, which one of these guys am I more like? Am I more like the rich man that walked away sad because I couldn't take my eyes off my stuff? Because I couldn't release my hands? Or am I more like Zacchaeus who sought to see Jesus? Who sought, fought through the crowd and because of what he saw in Jesus, he was able to see his stuff with the proper perspective. Lord, Yeah, this is a touchy subject, and you know more than anyone. You spoke about it. You spoke boldly about it to leaders the the days that Jesus walked the earth. Lord, you know more than anyone the hearts of men and women. You know the places that the stuff of this earth gets a hold of us and even deceives us and makes us think it's all right. You're not as bad as the next person. But Lord, we don't want to be as good as the next person. God, we're striving to be like Jesus. We're striving to follow you. Our goal is to make those words that we sang true of our lives, that Christ is enough. And it's not just words we would sing on a Sunday morning, but it's lives that we live, that people could look at our lives and see that and know that to be true. That the way we handle our stuff and our money would not be contrary to the testimony that Christ is all we need. Lord, we thank you for the way you provide for us. Each and every one of us has a different place and a different response. And I pray, God, that you would just search our hearts and lead us, Lord. Those of us who have entered into relationship with you, would you teach us what responsibility we have with the stuff that you've given to us? Lord, help us to see you clearly so that we might see all this other stuff the way we're supposed to, Lord. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. would you stand? And as we sing this song, I encourage you, just ask the Holy Spirit, search your heart. Like I said, I don't think any of us think we have an unhealthy relationship with money. So if you're bold enough, and that's what you think, ask God. God, would you search my heart? And would you show me, is there a place I need to be generous? 
Is there a place I need to trust you more? Is there a place where something's got a hold of my heart more than you? Let's sing this and ask God to search us and lead us.